Well, praise the Lord and welcome to Russ Podcast today. I'm your host, Kirk Space. Are you saved today? Do you have a born-again experience that you want to share? Are you religious or even questioning the Bible or God's existence? If so, I want to have a conversation with you. You can reach out to me at russpodcast at proton.me. That's russpodcast at proton.me. I'm also on Instagram. You could find me there, uh, Russ Podcast. So today, we have a little bit of a different kind of episode, and really, uh, the whole purpose I started this podcast, God laid this on my heart about two years ago, and there's a lot of problems in the church that I feel led in my heart to confront and address. And, you know, the idea of interviewing Christians and, and hearing their testimonies, it's, you know, it's good radio, and God gets all the glory, and that's a good way to fill some episodes, but the ultimate underlying purpose of this podcast is to address the church and the prophets of Baal, as written in 1 Kings chapter 18. So today, um, I have a, a guest in person with me. You guys, uh, if you listen to my testimony, uh, you heard me talking about Adam uh, that rode along with me in the truck. We worked together, and Adam... Uh, was the one who originally proposed the gospel to me. So today, I have Adam here, and we're going to address the subject of alcohol in the life of a believer. So let's get down to it. Adam, how we doing today, buddy? Good, good. Glad to be here. I'm excited to get into it today. Yeah, this is, uh, is this your first time on, the, on a recording here talking about this kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah, it's... Um it's going to be fun uh, doing more like a Bible study type program. Yeah, yeah. So the I want to um, let the audience know how this, this subject got brought up. Um, originally, I was going on Instagram and just looking for people that look like uh, they genuinely love Jesus and that they're born-again Christians, and I reach out to them to see if they want to have a conversation, if they want to share their testimony, and, um, you know, just talk about the Lord, the state of the world, and kind of what's going on. So that's what I've been doing, and I found this girl um, on Instagram. Uh, there was a reel that showed up in my suggested um, page, and it was a, what was it, like a video collaboration of the transformation in her life, I think, and um, I reached out to her and asked her if she wanted to come on the show, and have a conversation about her testimony. And she agreed. And um, I think it was not even a day later. She sent me a message. And I want to read this message to you guys. And this is where we're going to start the show. So she, she says, I wanted to reach out because I listened to your testimony episode yesterday. And I wanted to address a concern that I had. Towards the end of the episode, you and your host are discussing alcohol. 
At first, I thought you were speaking about people with addictions to alcohol, but as it went on, the words spoken were along the lines of, if you're truly born again, you wouldn't even want beer in your fridge. That feels very judgmental and legalistic. I myself do not drink, but I have loved ones who do like a glass of wine now and then, and do have a beer with dinner, and I don't see anything wrong with that. The Bible condemns drunkenness, but not partaking in a glass or two here and there. In fact, I think that legalistic viewpoints such as this turn off both unbelievers and Christians alike. I myself have turned away from God at times because of judgment that came from other Christians. Paul is very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 10 about legalism. We no longer live under law, but under God's grace, and his request is that we do everything for the glory of God while also not doing anything that could cause someone to stumble. <clears throat> this would be the case if you had an alcoholic over to your house for a gathering and you, su- you offered them a beer. That is causing somebody to stumble. If this isn't how you meant to come across, I completely understand. I have done interviews where I was led one way and it wasn't what I meant to say or my words were twisted. But I want to make sure you know my stance on this. I believe there are Christians who are very legalistic and then, on the other side, Christians who think just because we have God's grace means we can live however we want. I don't believe either of those. I firmly believe that we are to do whatever honors God and not to judge others because we are not God and therefore we do not know God's plan for that person. I'm not going to condemn someone for having beer in their fridge. That is the message that I got from your episode. Let me know your thoughts. Adam, what do you say (laughs) to Um, something like that? Well, first I want to point out that, um, you know, the desire... For holiness and to live righteously as a born-again, spirit-filled Christian is not legalism. Right, exactly. Yeah, there's there's a fine line, I guess, that people think between um, obedience and legalism. And they're not even close to the same thing. And I, I stood my ground on this. And, and what's shocking to me, Adam, is that a born-again Christian would deny the opportunity to share their testimony to the world and let God get all the glory and you're going to cancel it because the person interviewing you thinks alcohol is a sin. Right. That's Doesn't that seem a little yeah. uh <clears throat> that doesn't make any sense. Questionable? Right. You know, uh, the great commission should be our number one priority. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh Mark 16:15, go into the world and preach the gospel to, you know, the world. Right. And when you're born again, it's not necessarily that you can't drink. It's that you don't want to. Right. Why would you want to? Yeah, you don't want to anymore. That desire goes away. Right. And you and I have both come from past that we, we have drank, you know, in years past. And that, that desire goes away completely. Right. And even if that's not your testimony or your background, say you got saved as a young child, I still don't see why you would want to. Right. And, well, that's kind of what we're going to do today, because that that was the first message that this, this girl had sent to me. And I responded back with um, the three articles that Francis and Friends posted about alcoholism. Now, anybody who out there doesn't know Francis and Friends, um, Adam and I are media church members with um, Jimmy Swaggart Ministries, uh, Sun Life Broadcasting Network. And they're 24-7 live 
preaching, teaching the message of the cross on all platforms. They're on television. They're on Internet, uh, everywhere. So they have a program called Francis and Friends where they have a panel of ministers and teachers, and Francis Swagger is the host, and they they have a show that pretty much addresses subjects like this, and they let people call in and send emails and ask questions about the Bible, ask questions about doctrine, and they get this subject all the time. This is one of the hot-button topics in uh, the church today. So instead of them just answering it every time um, it gets brought up, they took the time to write out three very um, in-depth articles um, on what the Bible says about alcohol, and the Bible's very clear. So I had responded to this girl, and I sent her the links, and then I said, I encourage you to read these three articles because I a thousand percent back up everything that these articles says, and uh, I'm not going to back down from that, and that's my stance. I'm a hundred percent against alcohol, and I think it has no place in the life of a believer. So I sent those three articles over, and uh, she said, thanks for sending them to me. I'll look at them when I get a chance. And then maybe an hour or so later, um, she asked for my email address because she said her response was going to be very lengthy, and she didn't have enough room in, in Instagram to cover this. So I gave her my email, and I left it at that. I went to bed, and I woke up the next day, Adam, to a seven-page email of a Christian trying to explain to me why alcohol is okay as long as it's in moderation and, uh, you know, just defending it and shooting down everything that that Francis article said, pointing out the scripture. And what we're going to do today, you and me, we're going to read this email line for line, and we're going to go over every point, and we're going to drill at home what the Bible says about alcohol. Right. And is that the main argument, is that it is okay as long as it's in moderation? And would that extend to everything. You know, everything in moderation is the saying. That's not a biblical quote. That's nowhere found in the Bible. No, not at all. And I mean, it's, um, you know, some people say, well, I have better, so I have self-control and I know I can have one or I know when to stop or I know. Well, not, not everybody does. And, you know, here's my biggest thing, Adam. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of people that get saved and get delivered from drinking alcohol, and they're set free, and the desire goes away. So why would God condone something that has the potential to become a bondage in somebody's life? Exactly. And everything in moderation, would that include murder? Adultery. Adultery. Um, worshiping other gods, as long as it's in moderation? No, it's, it's foolishness. But what, I mean, what about other drugs? <clears throat> you know, because, I mean, you could smoke weed moderately— you know, you could take prescription drugs moderately, and if you look at statistics on how many deaths there are from alcohol compared to other drugs, alcohol is pretty high. Right, and a moderate dose of fentanyl will kill you. Right. So, yeah, that's a, that's a non-argument. So, uh, before we get into the, the email here, uh, we're going to take a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive right into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your grace and your mercy and this opportunity to come together and share your word with the world. Uh, Lord, we just pray that your spirit be present in this conversation and that you can lead Adam and myself uh, into giving the word that you want us to share. 
Uh, we pray that the listening audience, Lord, has ears to hear and a heart willing to accept and believe uh, what we're going to share today from your word. And we give Jesus all the glory. In his glory. name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, so like I said, uh, <laughs> to take the time to write a seven-page email in defense of alcohol should say it all, uh, but we're going to go ahead and we're going to d- dive into this, and we're going to start there. So she says, thank you for bri- providing me these alcohols. Or, <laughs> see, I'm already on the yeah. alcohol subject. <laughs> thank you for providing these articles to me, Kirk. Since you sent me your last message, there's only been a span of an hour and a half where I was not reading your articles, researching and reading scripture and writing this. It has taken me all day, but I have thoroughly enjoyed it and would like to provide feedback based on my findings. Many arguments could be made against these articles outside of biblical perspective. All right, red flag number one. I mean, whether you um, go ahead and continue to say that, you know, you're going to just focus on the biblical factors, even uh, a Christian saying there's arguments that could be made against this subject outside of biblical perspective. Well, why do we care what the world says? Why do we care what doctors say? Um, anybody. I care what God says and what the Word of God says. Uh, am I wrong, Adam? <laughs> right, and uh, the Bible strictly condemns alcohol. Right. And uh, several times. Anytime yeah. it's mentioned in the Bible, it's in a negative connotation. Right. You know, because it, it's mentioned as wine, it's mentioned as a strong drink, it's in, uh, referred to as intoxicating. Well, and I, I, my mind just keeps going to, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right. So it, there it's almost, you know, here's your two options. How long halt ye between two opinions? Yeah, right. And, you know, they kind of use that scripture to prove their point that um, moderation is the key to this because the scripture says when in excess, you know. But alcohol is called spirits for a reason because it's another spirit and it's not the Holy Spirit. Right, and uh, we know a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So uh, Paul exhorts us in First Thessalonians to abstain from all appearance of evil. Yeah, right. First Thessalonians um, chapter 5, verse 22. Right. And the question is, uh, does this please God? You know, that's, that's the ultimate question every believer should be asking with everything they do. Does this please God? Right. And is that going to cause someone who, let's say, has been saved from a life of alcoholism to stumble? Uh, right. You know, is that going to cause them um, in Romans 14? Uh, Paul would talk about uh, judging, and then that's really what I think we're being called out here in this email is that we are mm-hmm. judging, so to speak. But Paul tells us specifically to judge that no man puts a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. And that's verse 13. If you scroll down quick to verse 21, Paul says it's, good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak so that's you know 
pretty uh, black and white. Yeah, it's pretty clear. <clears throat> and, you know, as believers, uh, we, we have a personal responsibility for the welfare of other people, even if people don't really care about themselves, right? But for those who believe uh, that they can get by with an occasional drink, their example, it, you know, it still may lead others to habits that they don't have the willpower to break. You know, so for those who encourage others in anything which brings about their downfall, they're guilty. Right. And Jesus said himself that it'd be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea than to uh, cause a little one, which doesn't mean a little child or a young kid. It means a new believer, a new convert. Right. Yeah. And she brings that up in this email. So let's let's move on here to... Uh, what she says next. She's, and, and she's, in the beginning here, she's specifically uh, responding to the Francis and Friends articles. Okay. Okay. She says they're basing their points, such as drunk driving argument, specifically on Western society and culture, not worldly society and culture as a whole. In France, Germany, Italy, etc., they do not have the same drunk driving rates that we have here in the U.S. There's a whole world that God foresaw as the Bible was being written. Well, well, can I just stop you there and say they don't have the same uh, prices at the pump either. Yeah. <laughs> I think it, last time, you know, 20 years ago, it was $10 a liter for gasoline. I don't even know what it is now, but uh, you would think naturally that the drunk driving rate would go down uh, because there's less driving. Yeah, there's less people driving. Mm-hmm. Right, but, I mean, the statistic aside of how many people get DUIs or not aside, it's it's still a number that has a statistic. Uh, you know, it's not like this doesn't happen. Right. Whether it's a little amount or, or a high amount should be irrelevant in this. Right. It's a problem either way. Yeah, right. Uh, so she says, there's a whole world that God foresaw as the Bible was being written, and we don't often think to try to understand perspectives outside of our own bubble. I chose not to focus on this and base the responses solely on biblical factors. I have to be honest with you, from one believer to another, these articles are mostly opinion-based, not scripture-based. They're not even evidence-based. For instance, it says drunk driving has maybe killed more people than anything else. What has actually killed more people than anything else is abortion. I like that she brings up abortion here because uh, we are 100% against abortion. Right. SBN is 100% against abortion. And it wasn't um, a matter of comparison. It was, it was showing that it's still a statistical problem. And, you know, if, if you want to bring up uh, the, how many abortions, unintentional abortions, happen because of alcohol consumption? Right. How many uh, pregnancies are terminated from alcohol consumption? You know, they, they try to save these people that um, moderately drinking is okay. And doctors say you can have one or two here or one or two there as long as you you do it moderately. Well, if you're pregnant, do you still believe that you can moderately drink? Right. Or abortion in moderation? Yeah. Is, is abortion in moderation uh, acceptable? No. And, and the comparison here of the two, it, it's just, it's nonsensical. Um, So she says, it's also interesting that they're very much stating the fact that they are against drinking in any amount, but one of their main arguments is drunk driving. They also dismiss the advice of a doctor, which I will also address later on, because it simply doesn't align with their belief. 
are we really going to sit here and say that doctors suggest a glass of wine not for health benefit, but just because it's an excuse to sin? Yes, that's exactly what we're saying. Yeah. I don't care what a doctor says about something that the Bible condemns. Well, and I think you can derive the same benefit from grape juice plain as well. If not, uh, I've seen articles where actually your body has trouble absorbing the beneficial, uh, what, resveratrol or whatever from the grapes if there's alcohol in it. Yeah, right. And there was, uh, we actually looked this up. It was uh, grape juice versus wine, you know, for health benefits. And in July of 2011, they say that both red wine and red or purple grape juice promotes healthy blood pressure and cholesterol status and reduce your risk of developing blood clots. And there's evidence that the antioxidants in grape juice are better absorbed than those in alcohol. Yeah, that, yep. So it, it has nothing to do with the health benefits of wine. If you want the health benefits of wine, just drink grape juice. Yeah, and you'll get them. Right. So using a doctor as um, your reason to say it's okay because there's health benefits attributed to, yes, it's 100% an excuse to sin. Mm-hmm. 100%. Says they have a confirmation bias in the use of the drunk driving argument being in their favor, but discounting a doctor when it goes against their point. These articles play on your emotions to sway your viewpoint. On the occasion when scripture is mentioned, I see it being clearly misinterpreted here. They use Mark 9.42 to argue the point of not causing others to stumble, but that specific verse is actually talking about children. The verse they should be referencing is Romans 14.13, which I will reference later on. We literally just addressed that just now, because in in, uh, Mark... It's not referring to um, actual, it, it can mean both. But if you look in the Greek, it's referring to um, children, new believers, children of, uh, you know, Christians. And it can also mean little people. And Romans, Adam just did a great job explaining that. And what was the, um, pull up the, the deep dive there you had on Romans 14, because they're not talking about, Paul's not talking about... Um, not to judge. Where was it she said here? Because she brings it up. Well, Jesus himself, in uh, John chapter 7, he said, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Right, and drinking alcohol as a Christian is not righteous judgment. Well, it's not a righteous thing to do, obviously, so we're to, uh, you know, condemn sin. Right. Yeah, in all its form. Her point on Romans 14, because she wrote it later on here, she quotes uh, Romans 14, 13 through 23. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. What is said here is not directly about alcohol, but as it relates to alcohol, would read, alcohol is not unclean itself, but to him who considers it unclean, to him it is unclean. In other words, if that is the stumbling block for that person, they should not partake in it. What is a curse to one person may be a blessing to another. But that's not that's, that's not, not the context. This, right. No, the context is saying don't do it because another person may see you doing it and be tempted and fall back into alcoholism. Right, because you think you have 
um, control, self-control yeah, self mm. so that you can um, moderately drink. Well, another Christian sees that and says, well, this Christian over here is moderately drinking, so that means I can. Well, that person can't. Right. And they fall back into a bondage. Right. And that's and in, in this specific verse of Romans, they're, they're, Paul's referring to food. Well, no. If you go down to verse 21, he is also specifically talking about drinking wine, not drinking wine, abstaining from drinking wine or anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Right. So wine, you know, it was wine in that day. That was their main drug of choice, uh, the most available. Um, it could be any mind-altering substance. Yeah, right. You know, we're not here just to bash alcohol per se, but anything that's going to uh, – <clears throat> alter your mind, your way of thinking, your worldview, it's going to cut off the Holy Spirit. Right. The Bible condemns the use of any substance which alters or distorts our thinking, including alcohol, and that was the most common drug in ancient times. Right. You know, it's not, we're just out to, uh, we're, you know, we're anti-booze and that's it. And, you well, know. And, and we know that drugs are, are associated in the Greek, the original Greek language with pharmacia. sorcery. Yeah, yeah, pharmakia mm-hmm. is the word used. So alcohol was used in sorcery. It was used in the uh, worshiping of idols, mm-hmm. idolatry. Right. Um, there's there's a whole. It's it's a pretty broad stroke here. You know. Yeah, it's a shame we even have to broach this subject because it, yep. it really should go without saying. Um, well, which is why I said in my testimony on the radio with Pastor Mike. Uh, this is one of those hot-button subjects in the church that's a pretty good indicator of whether somebody's born again or not. And, you know, if you are born again, uh, you know, 100%, you had a born-again conversion, you love the Lord, you're living for the Lord. If you still believe uh, that alcohol is okay, then it means one thing. You're under the wrong teaching, and you're not studying properly. You're probably using a bad translation. You're probably sitting under a YouTube preacher. You're probably not being taught properly, because you can't use an English translation to study the Bible, okay? There are how many different translations out there today? Um, we use the King James because the King James is the closest thing that we have closest to the original Greek and Hebrew scriptures. And that's what all, I mean, all the Francis articles, yeah, the extra, um, the interlinary Bible, the Young's literal translation you can use, which are direct literal translations from the original Greek and the original Hebrew. So if you want to know specifically what exactly was said, you go to the Young's literal, you go to the Greek, you go to the Hebrew. Get yourself an, uh, a New Testament dictionary, get an Old Testament dictionary, and start deep diving these words and these verses. And you're going to learn that the Bible is 100% against drinking. Right, and I just have a hard time um, understanding why a truly born-again person would be arguing in favor of alcohol for any reason. Right. Even if they don't drink it themselves. Mm-hmm. Which this, this girl claims she doesn't. So it, it's, it is a mind-boggling question as to why, you know, with how many negativities are, are attributed to drinking alcohol. Right, and then let it hinder you from sharing your testimony on you know, right. something that could potentially reach any country in this world at this point. Yeah, you had, if you have the opportunity to share what God's done in your life, if 
it alcohol least, is more important. Yeah, alcohol is yeah, more important. That, that's, my my view on alcohol is more important than maybe one person on the entire planet hearing your testimony <clears throat> and letting the Holy Spirit witness to them and getting saved. I don't I don't buy it. So uh, we'll continue on. She says the Proverbs twenty three verse you're referencing to and verses used to make a point in these articles are evidently taken out of context. The Bible is clear that not only is drinking in moderation not a sin, but it is actually a blessing from God in some instances. Your article stated a listener mentioned the same thing, but they never refuted this point. The verse you mentioned in Proverbs 23 is, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. What Solomon is referring to here is the warning to not drink wine when it is in the process of fermenting because it can make you sick and or kill you. No, it doesn't. You know why? Because the, the Hebrew says absolutely nothing about a fermentation process. This, it is 100%, what is the, the Greek or um, the Hebrew word for uh, wine? I think it's yah. I forget what it, we literally just looked it up, but it's irrelevant because the um, the scripture here is talking about intoxicating wine, wine that will make one drunk. And Solomon, in this uh, proverb, there's a spiritual undertone to this entire proverb. And what what's happening here is the Holy Spirit is comparing alcohol to false teaching, apostate religion. There's... Um, he, like he says it, it stings like a like a snake. The bite of it stings right, like a snake. An adder. Yeah. yeah, an adder. It's comparing alcohol to false teaching. That's how bad alcohol is, and that's how bad false teaching is. They go hand in hand, and this entire proverb lays that out for you. It has nothing to do with avoiding wine while it's fermenting. Right, and, and speaking of fermentation and the fermentation process, uh, leaven is a good example. Yeah, right, leaven you, is yeast. Right. Yeast, leaven, the same thing. So every time that leaven is referred to in the Word of God, it's corruption. It's, it's speaking sin. of sin. Yep. Um, you know, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Right. Um, leaven, think of the Lord's Supper. Now, that's one of their, another one of their arguments is that, <clears throat> you know, there's real wine used in the Lord's Supper. Well, well the, the word wine isn't even found in the text for right. the Lord's Supper. And why would it be unleavened bread, but yet leavened grape juice? Right. Uh, that'd be a dichotomy. And that, that would be, spiritually speaking, that there's corruption in the blood of Christ. Right. And that's which why is blasphemy. He, that's why he said uh, to use unleavened bread. Right. For his mm -hmm. body. Right. But why would he use leavened grape juice? to represent his pure, blo spotless blood. Right, and, you know, Pastor Gabe addresses this, and he says, uh, you know, it's clear that God intended for us to use uh, grape juice because the Holy Spirit went to great lengths to not use any words that referred to any intoxicating references. The word wine isn't used anywhere in the text in regards to the Lord's Supper right. at all. And uh, the process to say, and not only that, but, the, the word for wine in Greek is oinos, and it could mean grape juice, it could mean intoxicating, but what, the, the rule of thumb when you're studying this uh, specific topic, you have to use context to determine 
what is being is is the scripture talking about intoxicating wine or is it talking about um, grape juice? So you have to use context here. And if if you think about uh, Jesus's first miracle of converting water to wine, Adam, uh, the 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 fermentation process is a death and decaying process. It's bacteria yeast introduced into a, a a beverage that has sugar, and it eats and it decays and it ferments into alcohol. So you mean to tell me that in the Lord's first miracle, he did a fermentation process, which is a decaying process? No, 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 no. Everything the Lord touched, he brought life to, not death. And the other thing I want to bring up about this first miracle, uh, this was at a Galilean wedding. Now, if anybody knows... A traditional Galilean wedding lasted two days long, okay? And at the end of the, the, this wedding, the Lord turned the water into wine, and it was the last, uh, the last wine that they served. And they said, no, you saved, uh, usually they give the, you know, the good wine first, but, you know, they saved this, in this instance, they saved the good wine for last. And now you have to think about this. If this is at the end of the wedding, which is at the end of two days, all these people now are specifically drinking for two days long. Now, if this is intoxicating wine, they've been drinking nonstop for two days now, right? And then the Lord comes in and makes the best wine they've ever had and gives it to them. Now, I'm no dummy, but wouldn't that go against the Lord's own law of temperance? Right. You got two. You got a, a wedding a full of people. Binge. Yeah, two day binge. And now Jesus is going to come and say, here, guys, have some more. I don't think so. Right. And so this shows the importance of uh, what's known as theological correlation. So you would take the idea of leaven and apply it to every passage in the entire Bible that speaks of leaven as always being a form of sin or corruption. Uh, This kind of brings to mind, it's a little bit, going down a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I've gotten into conversations with dominionists before. Right. And I always ask them, in Matthew 13, 33, the parables of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, be- dominionists believe that that means that the church is going to uh, grow and grow and grow until it takes over the whole world. Right, like the church is going to have the say of when Christ can come back. Right, but why would the church be leaven? It's yeah, not. Right, exactly. Right? So yeah, every... it's saying that the church will be ultimately corrupted, and if not for the rapture, the church will be right. non-existent. Right. Every every connotation of this word leaven in the scripture is negative. Is negative. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So let's, let's move on here to her next uh, phrasing. Uh, she says, the verse you mentioned in Proverbs 23 is, Look not upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. What Solomon is referring to here is the warning to not drink wine when it's in the process of fermenting because it can make you sick and or kill you. Verse 32 speaks about improper use of alcohol, not alcohol as a whole. In fact, in verse 20, Solomon is clear. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. It does not say those who drink wine. It says too much wine. In this same way, it says the same thing about consuming meat in excess. 
the Bible shows us in several places that anything in excess is not good for us. Proverbs 25:16, for example, eat only as much as you need, otherwise, being filled excessively, you vomit it. The Bible does talk about negative things that can happen when alcohol is consumed in excess. It mentions homelessness, sadness, hallucinations, nightmares, addiction, lack of self-control, injuries, and sometimes actions that result in death. Again, these are mentioned when alcohol is consumed in excess, not if alcohol is consumed in general. Why would you even want to risk it? Yeah. That's the question. You literally just named a a plethora of things that can happen when you drink alcohol. As a born-again believer, why are you even going to tempt fate at any of this? Right. And you may think that you have self-control, but uh, Jeremiah 17 tells us not to even trust our own heart. Yeah, the hearts of men are desperately wicked, and who shall know it? Right. So you can't even know your own heart and your own willpower, uh, let alone you know, what it's going to do to others that we've already talked about as far as influencing them in a negative direction. But who's to say that, uh, you know, no alcoholic ever starts out as an alcoholic. They start out with one drink, maybe one drink with dinner. Right. I remember as a kid, Adam, I had, uh, we had a drug and alcohol class at school in elementary school. And I took these bumper stickers home and these bumper stickers said, impairment begins with the first drink. Right. It only takes one. Yeah. And, you know, looking back at my life, like before I got saved, when Amanda and I would go out, she would have one Captain and Coke and be, I'm falling over. Right. She had two, forget it. It was night, night, night's over. Yeah. And to, what does Paul say in Romans 7, uh, verse 18? For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Right. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. So even he is admitting that he doesn't trust himself. Right. So if you think that you can say, I have self-control and I can stop whenever I want and I can moderately do this, you can't. Because not only did Jesus come to the cross and die for um, our salvation and to keep us out of hell, he... In Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. So it's it's victorious living as well as going to heaven. You know, the sin nature has been broken with what Christ did at the cross. So what Paul's saying there in Romans is that, you know, I have the desire to do these good things. You know, the will is there, but I can't. My flesh, uh, it, it can't do it. You know, it's stronger. But the answer is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen. Every single thing that faces us in this world, all our daily living, all the problems we face, all the struggles, victory is achievable through through what Christ did at the cross. We don't have it in us to do it. That's why he had to come here and die for us, because we don't have the power or the strength or the willpower to be able to do this. Right. And his finished work is what allows the Holy Spirit to come in and do the doing that we can't. Right. Give us that victory and and to take away that desire. So, you know, a sip or a keg, it really doesn't matter because what you're actually doing is cutting off the help of the Holy Spirit. Exactly. That's what you're really doing. Right. And it's, it's uh, if your faith isn't properly placed in the finished work of Christ, the Holy Spirit's hands are tied. It's a law. Right. 
Romans and 8 you will, for the you law. will fall into bondage. You know, bondage, sin uh, ever increases. It's a downward spiral. Look at Romans chapter 1. Yep. Uh, no matter what you think, and maybe you think you're doing all right and you have a handle on it, but um, eventually you're going to be dragged down. Mm-hmm. Because the more one sins, the more one has to sin. And I, I had the, um, it's over in the binder over here, but um, do you remember the the outline of uh, victory versus failure, the chart? So if, right. if your faith is anchored in yourself, mm-hmm. your focus is on, um, or, I'm trying to remember how they had it laid out. I literally have it right here. Focus is on self. <clears throat> or their power sources yourself, and the result will be failure. Yeah, right. And it's a comparison to... Uh, so, the wrong way, your focus is your works, which in Romans seven fifteen, 15, uh, the word is do. Your object of faith is performance, you know, you, how you perform it, doing whatever it is you do to achieve whatever you want. Your power source is yourself. Mm-hmm, that's, yep. And what is the result? Defeat, Romans 7.24. So the right way then, your focus should be on the Lord Jesus Christ. Your object of faith should be the cross of Christ. Your power source is the Holy Spirit, and then your results are victory. It's that simple. We don't have it in us to be able to um, have self-control. It's that simple. So she goes on then. In her next line, it says, God specifically states in Galatians 5.19 that no drunkard will inherit the kingdom of God, but this goes for anyone with any sin who has not repented. There are several times in the Bible where wine is mentioned, and God is clearly in favor of it in moderation. Let's look at the Old Testament. Genesis 14.18, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the God Most High. This is referencing the meeting with Abram. In Genesis 27, when Jacob is blessing his son Isaac, who he thought was Esau, wine is referred to as a blessing from God. He says, therefore, may God give you the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. If Jacob knew God was against wine, why would Jacob have asked God to bless Isaac with an abundance of it? Okay, again, and, you know, another, (laughs) every time the Bible says wine, it's not referring to alcoholic wine. You have to go to the Hebrew. You have to go to the Greek. Is it referencing intoxication or not? Because there's grape juice and there's intoxicating wine. And what was before prohibition, Adam, Pastor Gabe writes this in in the crossfire, grape juice before prohibition was referred to as wine. Right. Not that long ago. Right, not that long ago. So just because the word wine in English is written in your NIV or whatever translation you're using, even the King James, it's an English translation. Yeah, the Greek uh, word, I believe, is oinos. Yeah, it's oinos. And it could refer to just plain grape juice. Right, and that's what we said. You have to use the context right. and and look to, to determine what the Holy Spirit's saying here. Right, and, um, you know, she said, I think Ephesians, uh, my mind goes to 1 Corinthians 6.10, that no drunkard shall inherit the kingdom of God. Right, yeah, well, she said that in the um, 
in the Latin Galatians 5.19 that no drunkard will inherit the kingdom of God, but this goes for anyone with any sin who has not repented. Uh, so she's going on then with um, the Old Testament. Uh, God, through Moses, told the Israelites in Deuteronomy 7 that wine would be part of many blessings. He would bestow upon them if they wouldn't be obedient to him, and he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain and your new wine and your oil in the land of which he swore to your fathers and give to you. He refers to this again in Deuteronomy 33. Then Israel shall dwell in safety, the fountain of Jacob alone, in a land of grain and new wine. His heavens shall also drop dew. He even told the Israelites in Deuteronomy 18.4 that if they were disobedient to him, that they would get, he would take away their grains and their wine. Again, grape juice. Just as in the Old Testament, there are an abundance of scriptures referencing the overindulgence of alcohol in the New Testament. And just as in the Old Testament, there are scriptures that support the indulgence of alcohol in moderation. Luke 7.34 states that even Jesus himself drank wine while he was on the earth. That's blasphemy if you're referring to alcohol. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking and say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The Bible's very clear that when Jesus was here on earth in human form, he did not sin. If partaking in alcohol in moderation was a sin, he would, never, he would have never done such a thing. What do you say about this? Uh, to say that the Lord is walking around drinking alcohol. He couldn't have been the perfect sacrifice had no. he done that. Uh, Looking in, in the Old Testament at the uh, Nazarite vow. Yeah, right. They weren't even to touch grapes. Right. Any fruit of the vine. It wasn't. It didn't have nothing to do with alcohol. It was. It was grapes. <clears throat> well, any of it. Right. And well, I mean, I think um, the Rechabites. Yeah, right. They were uh, rewarded. Mm-hmm. I want to pull up, and I'm pretty sure this this scripture, pre- I mean, this, this puts the nail to bed in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Hmm. Now, the context there is what? It's on strong drink. Right? Right. So clearly wine in this instance is referring to alcoholic wine. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit is clearly saying whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And now I see here, Adam, a lot of the time in other translations, this scripture is changed to say anybody drunk by wine, whoever is drunk is deceived by it, which takes away uh, the entire purpose. They're saying it's only deceiving... Uh, if you're totally drunk. That's not what this is saying. It's saying wine's a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I mean, that's a, a mic drop scripture on alcohol. Uh, and look opinion. at Proverbs 23, 31. We're told to not even look, look at, at it. the red one. Yeah, don't even look at it. Uh, well, so, and and, and that, she addressed that trying to say it was taken out of context. And, well, no, because first... Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearance of evil. Right. Like, you could always, out of sight, out of mind. Like, what don't you get? You could go back to that all the time. And the question, like I said earlier, is does this please God? So if you know that drunk people, uh, you know, visibly intoxicated people, 
as a Christian, you know that they shouldn't be drunk. Why would you want to portray that same image just by holding a drink in your hand? Yeah, they don't know how much you've had. Right. Are they going to watch every sip and count every sip you take? No, and you better believe the people in your life that know you're a Christian, you better bet they're watching you. Mm-hmm. And they want to see when you slip up, and they want to say, oh, look, so-and-so's a Christian, and here they are at the bar drinking, here they are at dinner having a glass of wine, here they are out back cursing and swearing. Everything you do as a believer, the people in your life who are skeptics are going to point the finger at you every chance they get. Right, because that's what they will use as their excuse right. to not accept the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will say, oh, well, see, Adam's out there having a beer, so there really must be nothing to this Christianity right. thing. You know, he didn't really change. He's out there drinking still. Exactly. You know, it's it's pretty cut and dry. All right, so let's, uh, let's move on here. Uh, just as in the Old Testament, yeah, okay, so she's talking about here Jesus in Luke 7.34. Jesus even spoke that he knew what the qualities of good wine were, Luke 5.39, and no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. The first article you provided says that anyone using wine for health benefits is just using as an excuse to partake in it. Uh, Yeah, we're we're also saying that. Yeah, you're not drinking for taste. No, you're not drinking for taste. You're drinking for effect. You're not drinking for health benefits, because if you were, you could get the same thing from grape juice. Right, and I keep going back to it. Uh, Is alcohol not recognized as a poison? Right. It is. Alcohol is. is a poison. The health benefits you're getting are from the other liquids that are in that drink that you can get from grape juice or whatever else it is. And still, the most dangerous... Thing I still feel as a born-again, spirit-filled Christian is that you will cut off the help and power of the Holy Spirit by engaging in alcohol. Right. It's another spirit. Well, and I think, you know, the Look entire... on the liquor store. Look at the name of the liquor store. Yeah. Wine, Wine and spirits. spirits. Yeah, right. And I think, you know, we talked about this earlier, that I think uh, the only reason this... The only reason this subject would be fought and discussed as hard as this is because one uh, you're either not saved or if you are you're you're lacking the baptism with the holy spirit and you're under the wrong teaching mm-hmm. there there's no other explanation to to any of this so we'll move on uh talking about the health benefits it's uh, a substitute spirit yeah right it is i think you're using it as a substitute for the holy spirit mm-hmm. in first timothy Paul condemns excessive alcohol consumption in his exchange with Timothy, but advises him to drink some wine to help with his stomach. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Again, why would doctors tell patients to drink a glass of wine if they could just say, eat some grapes? If it was really just the grape that holds the benefits, as your article states, why did Paul not tell him to consume grapes? He specifically stated wine. Uh, context again. Yeah, right. We also take communion in remembrance of Jesus as, as was told to do, told to the disciples. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks for to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. 
Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So that's sacrilegious to say that there was leaven in that which represents his perfect spotless blood. Right, and we, we already covered yeah, that we earlier. Yeah, we covered that, yeah. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Matthew 26, verse 26 through 30. If consuming alcohol in general was a sin, why would God tell his disciples to drink it in remembrance of him? Because it wasn't alcohol, it was grape juice. It's, it's, we already discussed that. Perhaps the biggest argument with this entire philosophy, if alcohol directly leads to sin, why was Jesus' very first miracle turning water into wine? And I like this because you brought this up the other day. Do you remember what you said when you said, Maybe he did that wine or that miracle first on purpose. Yeah, it uh, it could confuse those um, to really weed out who's serious about going all in for the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be intentionally a confusing miracle that he chose to do first. Um, in that, <clears throat> you know, we as born again believers understand that the point of the miracle was to show that God can change things. He can change your situation. He can turn your life around, change it from one state to another. But if you're just skimming through it, you're not doing word studies, you're not digging into the Greek word, then uh, you're going to use that as your main excuse to have your cake and eat it too, so to speak. Right. I agree with you that I think this was intentional. I mean, everything, I mean, he had a reason for... Yeah, he's not caught off guard. Like, he's not wondering, oh, why is everyone confusing this? Right. No, he knows. And um, as we said, you know, the discussion of leaven is... (laughs) Yeah, you have to use theological correlation with with leaven and always compare it to sin in the Bible. Well, and this is the difference also between an eisegesis and an exegesis of this topic. Yeah. Because if you're going outside of the Scripture to prove your point, you now have an eisegesis. So I, I challenge this girl to do this same thing now, but exegete the scripture and then give me a response, mm-hmm. which means use the scripture to prove the scripture. You right. can't in this instance. So she says, perhaps the biggest argument with this entire philosophy, if alcohol directly leads to sin, why was Jesus' first miracle turning water into wine? On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. He said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then that which is inferior, but you have kept the good wine until now. John chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. And again, we covered that earlier. If if that was alcoholic wine, it, he would have been breaking, breaking his own law of temperance. Exactly. These scriptures all support that alcohol is not a sin. Again, use your words carefully because the scripture doesn't say alcohol here. You're using this as your argument, okay? 
that alcohol is not a sin if it is not consumed in excess. Just because it says wine doesn't mean it's alcohol, okay? Not only is it not a sin, but it is indeed a blessing to some. I'm not sure why your ministry has chosen to single out alcohol as a sin. They haven't. They, they're, uh, they're very bold against all sin, every sin. If the Bible is against it, they're against it, and we're against it. If the Bible is for it, they're for it, and we're for it. It's pretty simple. It is no lesser or worse than any other sin God warns against. What I said about this argument being extremely legalistic and judgmental, I stand by. One of the articles mentions, the only answer to sin of alcoholism is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. This is for all sins, not just alcoholism. Well, we actually agree on that, but the fact of the article was just per- solely about alcoholism. They're telling you the answer is the same for alcoholism than it is everything else. Right, and, and most people aren't arguing in favor of sins like this, right. like they do with alcohol. Right. And that's really the, the bone of contention, is that you are arguing in favor of a sin. Right, because you think in moderation it's okay. And what, I mean, you could, is, is marijuana okay, moderately? Right, or, um, you know, people are on prescription drugs and then they mix alcohol with that. Well, all of a sudden, moderation is... Gone. Yeah, that's enough to uh, send you over the moon. Right, and we're not against uh, people being prescribed medication from the doctors. Um, So if, say, somebody is on some kind of um, antidepressant or, say, they just had a surgery and they're on pain pills, you know, they they just got prescribed Perk-10s, for instance, and they think, well, I, I can have a drink. You know, I'll only have one. That's moderation. Well, now you just mixed your pain medicine, opiates, with alcohol. And now your moderation, your limit, your tolerance, everything goes right out the window. Yeah, so where, where do you draw the line? Yeah, you know? where, where do you draw the line? Mm-hmm. And like I said, you know, Adam keeps bringing up 1 Thessalonians 5.22. Does this please the Lord? Abstain from the appearance of evil everywhere. For the, for the benefit of others. Right, and that's the point. Like I said earlier, we have a responsibility <clears throat> um, to not put out the image to somebody who might not have any self-control that it's okay, because that person might not be the same spiritually, mentally, or or any any anywhere near being able to handle just one drink. But you as a Christian, holding that drink in your hand gives that image to everybody else that they can do it. Okay. These scriptures all support that alcohol is not a sin uh, if it is not consumed in excess. Not only is it not a sin, <clears throat> but it is indeed a blessing to some. So she's saying alcohol is a blessing to some people. I'm not sure why your ministry's chosen to single out alcohol as a sin. It's no lesser or worse than any other sin God warns against. All right, then she goes on. We already read this. This is for all sins, not just alcoholism. And we are told to not condemn or judge others for their sins or to cause someone to stumble. Okay, we're not judging somebody over their sins. We're not judging lost people over drinking. Right, and and the word in Greek for judge is krino, and and that means to evaluate, you know, to assess, to uh, distinguish between good and evil. You know that it's not the Bible doesn't condemn judging. Right. Yeah. It's uh, it, where it was can, it where he tells us to judge righteous judgment. Right. Jesus tells us to judge. Paul tells us to judge. It's uh, use, you know, uh, ascertain to. Uh, I guess, you know, positive discrimination 
is called morality. Right. And so if you're not using it, then you're not using discernment, then you're not being moral. And what are we supposed to do, Adam? Just pat people on their backs on the way to hell? Right. And if you think something, and we're not saying like, you're a, you're a dirty drinker, you're going to burn in hell. We're not saying right. that. We're, we're admonishing. It's warning right. of judgment Right. is not judging. No, not at all. John 7, 24 tells us to judge righteous judgment, and Paul in Romans 14 says the same thing. Right. And and now there is a wrong kind of judging, right? which would be like condemning someone, belittling them, well, right. and it criticizing. Says in, uh, you know, that's not what we're doing here. Well, he says that in John 7, 24, judge not according to the appearance. Right. You know? So, you know, we're not picking on this girl. We're not picking on people that are uh, in favor of alcohol, so to speak. But we're telling you that there will be a judgment involved if you don't reject it outright. Right. And we're just telling you what the Bible says. Right. Not just what the English translation says. Okay. You, ha- you have to take this all the way to the root if you're going to try and defend it. And if you want to come on, come on and talk. We'll we'll talk. We'll have a conversation about it. You can try and prove your point all day long. We'll sit here and let you do it. Right. And and I want to go back to my initial quote in the opening is that uh, the desire for holiness and righteousness is not legalism. Right. You know, we're being called legalistic. Because we want to obey God's word. And that we're judging, but that's not what we're doing here. No, and, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of denominations also out there um, in Pentecostal denominations, you know, holiness churches, that have done a good job at putting that image out there to the world about, you know, being holy and you need to be legalistic and you have to dress a certain way or you have to do right, this. Right, that's not the type that. of holiness right. I'm speaking about. Yeah, we, we wanted to address that and make that clear that right. we're not affiliating this with a Pentecostal holiness denomination. No, no. Yeah, I mean, you know, obey, obedient to the right. Word of God. Obedient, right. exactly. All right, so the next one, we already read that, the one next one, because she goes in about Romans 14. Uh, she goes to Romans 2, verse 1 through 3. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Okay, so this this next paragraph, she says, When I drink even a little, it changes how I feel and behave, which is why I do not do it. However, I am not tempted when others around me drink. It is my stumbling block that I am responsible for. (laughs) Well, that certainly doesn't take Romans 14 into account. No, not at all. That's we shouldn't the cause of, other, right, right. It's the opposite because we mm-hmm. shouldn't cause others to stumble, and you just you know you just said when I drink even a little it changes how I feel and behave, which is why I do not do it. Right, because you're cutting off the Holy Spirit. So why would you even condone this for anybody else? Oh, yeah, just be and you say you know, however you're not tempted when others around you drink. That's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. You just stated how it makes you feel when you drink it. It does that to everybody. It has the same effects on everybody, but some might be become uh, angry or mad or, you know, their mood changes. Their, their mind is altered. Right, and I 
not even comfortable around people when they're drinking. No, I don't even want to be in the presence no, of it. No, me neither. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, so she says, it's my stumbling block that I am responsible for, which is not biblical. If that is the hill that this ministry wants to die on, why are they not just as outraged about people eating cupcakes and fried chicken in the same room as a person with diabetes whose health is at risk if they partake in such foods? <laughs> I personally know people that do have problems with alcohol, and therefore when they are around, we do not have any alcohol in the house because we know that that could tempt that recovering person. To be frank with you, the person that hurt me the most in my entire life was an alcoholic. I blamed alcohol itself for a long time as the cause for a lot of the pain I felt, but that viewpoint was incorrect. Uh, as Christians, were to love the sinner but hate the sin. Right. And that sounds like she loves the sin and hates the sinner. That seems backwards. Yeah, it seems backwards. I blamed alcohol itself for a long time as the cause for a lot of pain I felt, but that viewpoint was incorrect. Right, so is she harboring on forgiveness? That You know, that's really the underlying question. Right, and the underlying issue here is the reason that person hurt you is because of sin. Yeah, they're involved in alcohol, which is a sin. Sin. That grace puts away the sinner instead of, or puts away the sin instead of the sinner. Right. If God himself shows throughout the Bible that alcohol is favored in moderation, then it is blasphemous to claim otherwise. I will not condemn others and say that they aren't truly born again if they have a beer or a glass of wine. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Only God knows the thoughts of others, my friend. Only God can say whether someone is truly born again or not. I, as your sister in Christ, will not participate in the condemnation of others based on sins you cannot relate to. What you are doing by saying, if you drink, you are not saved, is putting sin above God's grace. Nothing is more powerful or more important than God's grace. Well, I never said that in my testimony. Uh, What I said was, if they were a born-again Christian and they did drink, they would have conviction, and they do, because there are born-again believers who struggle with alcohol, but they also know it's a sin, and they have conviction over it. I just asked Amanda this the other day, Adam, because when she got saved, she, she backslid maybe within a couple months. She didn't, she didn't go very long, but she ended up walking away back towards drinking and booze and going out, and I asked her the other day, I said, when you knew because there were some sins that had had taken place in her life that she felt major conviction about from the Holy Spirit. So I asked her, I said, when you were starting to walk away from the Lord and you went back to drinking and going out, I said, did you know in your heart that you shouldn't? Was there conviction there that told you that this is wrong and you shouldn't? And she said, yes. Yeah, it's called conscience. Even in the unsaved, they have a conscience. Right, and she wasn't an alcoholic. Right. It was just one here and there. Yeah, it, it should go without saying. It, it does. Know, and um, <clears throat> as believers, you know, we're not to judge the motives of the heart or the eternal destiny of others, but I will kind of float this point, is that uh, Jesus said, by their fruit you shall know them. Right. No pun intended. Mm-hmm. Grape. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you're right. You're 100% yeah. right, though. Yeah. It's by their fruit. It makes you wonder. You know, it's questionable. We're not condemning anyone to hell or anything like that, but it, it just it, it doesn't add up. No. And she says, I also think it would be sad to use your podcast to condemn others instead of lifting them up and encouraging them in God's love. Love will always overpower fear, and it will reach more people than condemnation ever will. People have to first know God's love before they will ever understand. Right, but we should have a fear of God. Right. And a fear of sin as well. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. And she says, I do absolutely wish you the best and will continue to pray for you in your research and on your new journey. So I want to ask you one question. Uh, Would you, if you were alive in Paul's day, would you say the same thing to Paul? Because Paul was very hard on sin. Paul uh, called the Galatians stupid morons. <laughs> is that, um, that's not lifting them up in love, right? is it? You know, this He new, was concerned for their soul. Right, it's concerned and, for and their soul. We are as well. It's, oh, know. foolish Galatians. If you look in the Greek, it means stupid. Moronic is what it means. Because... Uh, sin is sin, whatever you want to call it, whatever it is. And if you don't want to call it out, that's between you and the Lord. But we're not going to sit here and sugarcoat things and pat you on the back on your way into hell. If you want to drink, you have the free moral will to do so. But we uh, we don't support alcohol in any means at all. Right, and we're trying to warn you and tell you because we love you. Right. We care for your eternal soul more than your feelings. And we just want you to take this to heart. Consider the consequences down the road. Right. Eternity is forever. Um, The here and now is temporal. Alcohol. uh, Why even risk it? This isn't something... uh, to, to risk your, your your eternity over. This is nonsense. And and we me and Adam have been saying this for the past week. The fact that we're born-again Christians and we even have to address this topic is insane. So we're going to wrap it up here, and we want to give uh, the listening audience a chance to repent or a chance to come to Christ, you know, if, if this message spoke to your heart. If you don't know the Lord today, um, we're going to lead you in a sinner's prayer, and you could pray along with us, and we hope you're sincere. And it's not its not the words that get you saved. If you believe this in your heart, then you will be saved. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this prayer, and Adam's going to repeat after me, and, and you guys can, can repeat along with us. Amen. Okay? Dear God in heaven, Dear God in heaven, I come to you today as a lost sinner. I come to you today as a lost sinner. I'm asking you that you save my soul and cleanse me from all sin. I'm asking you that you save my soul and cleanse me from all sin. I realize in my heart my need of salvation. I realize in my heart my need of salvation. Which can only come through Jesus Christ. Which can only come through Jesus Christ. I am accepting Christ into my heart. 
I'm accepting Christ into my heart. And what he did on the cross in order to purchase my redemption. And what he did on the cross in order to purchase my redemption. In obedience to your word. In obedience to your word. I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus. I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus. And I believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead. And I believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead. You have said in your word which cannot lie. You have said in your word which cannot lie. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I have called upon your name exactly as you have said. I have called upon your name exactly as you have said. And I believe that right now I am saved. And I believe that right now I am saved. Amen and amen. amen. So if you guys uh, prayed with us, um, if that was your first time, or maybe if you rededicated your life to the Lord tonight, um, reach out to me on Instagram or my email. It's rustpodcast.proton.me. Uh, I want to hear your story. I want to hear your born-again experience. I want to hear um, how the Lord's moving in your life. So without any more, um, if you guys want to stick around, um, the next episode that's coming out, uh, me and Adam are going to do a back-to-back here. And we're going to go ahead and get into Adam's testimony in the next episode. And you don't want to miss that. You want to hear how the Lord moved in his life and how um, Adam was obedient to, to the Lord in, in leading me to the Lord. So without any uh, more delay, have a good night. God bless. And we'll see you next time. Adam, thanks for coming on tonight, yeah, buddy. Thanks for having me. God yeah. bless. God bless. Amen.